warm welcome to the spiritguides.co.uk network radio. This week we've got Kerim Webb, the Hypnotic Prophet. Um, if I may, just before we start, um, I'd like to read a little, um, uh, I guess a kind of a legal disclaimer really, just before the program starts. Is that okay? That's absolutely fine. Okay. Um, well, basically, uh, due to recent changes in English law, I need to state that what I say should be considered to be for entertainment purposes only, um, that any psychic work attempted by me should be considered to be an experiment, and that no guarantee is offered or implied. Um, obviously, nothing that I say or do should be taken to mean that I'm advising anyone to either act or not act in any specific way. And finally, that my belief in the possibility of spirit communication and the survival of the soul is an integral part of my religion. Great to have you back on. It's been a while, isn't it? Yeah, it has been a while, Ian. Thank you very much indeed for inviting me again. It's a great pleasure to be here with you. It's a great pleasure. Happy New Year to you as well. Likewise. Um, you know, I'm a keen follower of your videos. I've uh, been watching them for quite some time. The last one actually was, I mean, in a very, very nice way. You made me smile. I didn't realise you could do <laughs> such an amazing Elvis impersonation. It was just fantastic. Um, and obviously I got the flavour from that, that you were kind of... Uh, talking about discernment in a really good way um yes. it's just sort of really sort of dig deep really what what sort of got you onto that kind of uh, level i think we are all shaped by our experiences um and i had a profound experience about well half a lifetime ago back in my early 20s i've always been interested in in spiritual issues uh, ever since i you know can remember you know, ever since you start to think about things like this, I take myself back to primary school and um, I can remember sitting in a classroom, I can't remember how old I would have been, really, really young, and it was around Christmas and we'd made um, paper change. You know, the little crew used to get there in classrooms, there'd be like a, a red band, a yellow band and a green band and you'd stick them together and make a paper chain for Christmas decorations that would hang from the ceiling. At least we did in our school. Yeah, I can remember yeah. these Christmas decorations hanging there. I can't remember how young I would have been. But I was sitting in the classroom, probably should have been doing my maths or English, and I was staring at these paper, paper chains trying to psychically make them move. And I was, oh, you know, probably waist high or something like that. So I've always been interested in things like this. And I think when a person has a deep interest in, in, in spiritual issues, it, it tends to naturally make them inquiring in this kind of field you tend to at least again speaking from my own experience I you know I studied parapsychology I've looked into Christianity Islam Buddhism and things like this and you, you, t you tend to read a lot and listen to a lot of information that's out there and when I was um, about let's see 1982 I um, was introduced my dad had seen a magazine produced by a Christian organization advertised I think in the Sunday Times as a free magazine that he sent off for and uh, he looked at it, thought there some interesting articles but wasn't really his cup of tea. Anyway, I started to read it and there were some um, incredibly well-written, well-presented articles that offered definitive answers to practically every conceivable um, subject, issue, challenge that the world faces from a very narrow Christian perspective, but at the time I didn't realize being, you know, I was quite young and perhaps certainly more naive than I am now. Um, and I began to read the magazine and request a lot of the booklets. And then about two years later, having, and I know the process now, I kind of self indoctrinating my, you know, myself, um, through reading their literature, 
I developed a very fixed mindset over the nature of life, the universe, the spirit world and things like that. And for about eight years, I was associated with this fundamentalist Christian group. And not knowing it at the time, I had limited my ability to be discerning because I had accepted hook, line and sinker um, this one organization's viewpoint on the nature of life, the universe and everything. And suddenly, um, after about eight years of being a, 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 an avid, diligent member of this organization, my world crashed around me when I discovered that the information that uh, was presented as being the one true truth, as they always all are when they're, they're when they're very dogmatic in, they you know perceive uh, um, suggest that they have definitive answers to every question. Um, my world crashed around me when I discovered that the organisation, of course, didn't have uh, you know a hotline to God um, in such a way that they had answers to everything and you know um, were the only representative if you like of spirit in the world and as a result of that um, challenging time was very challenging um, it, it taught me a big lesson and I am so glad that it happened and it taught me to to be more discerning about informa information of all kinds whether it be political um, scientific and certainly spiritual because when I look back at that church now, it's an organization called the Worldwide Church of God, um, which had a, I mean, an incredible following. They, they produced then a magazine called The Plain Truth, which had millions of subscribers every month and television and radio programs around the world. You know, really um, big, very professional organization. Um, when, a, when, you, when a person goes through an experience like that when they believe something wholeheartedly and they've narrowed and rejected you know narrowed their way of thinking and rejected things to the contrary to the extent for instance Ian I mean here's a biggie and I, I you know I know other people have been in this kind of situation too if information that was presented to me when I was a member of this group um, was diametrically opposite to what the group portrayed or, or, or presented rather um, I wouldn't read the information. It would it would it would challenge me too much, so I would reject it because out of fear, basically, that you know I would lose my faith or I would fall away, and it was the dark side trying to take a pop at me. Um, but in hindsight, you know, after having been through this experience, it was one of the best experiences I've ever had because it it, it taught me to be discerning, and I think now there is particularly with the internet, of course, that didn't exist then, at least not in in the way that we ordinary people if you like have access to can't remember when it was actually built but certainly I didn't have access to it then um, there is such a wide amount of information out there these days and when people are very spiritually inclined and are seeking to learn as much as they can spiritually from all the information that's out there if they are very trusting then they run the risk of allowing themselves to be um, influenced unduly by um, individuals and groups who proclaim to have, you know, kind of all the truth, when in actual fact they don't. And I, I think 
in my opinion, there's a lot of that that goes on now. So I think the, the last video was my, um, if you like, attempt to kind of just to say to people, you know, be discerning. Um, you, use your critical reasoning ability um, and, uh, you know, give thought to the things that you read, listen to and watch just to kind of protect yourself so that you don't get drawn into something that sounds like it might be good when in actual fact, you know, it's not. So that's kind of where I was coming from. So basically though, with um, discernment, I think it's something that takes years for experience, doesn't it really, to know um, in hindsight that what you've learned is wrong. Yeah. Absolutely. Know, and, um, and I think that is a life skill, isn't it, really? But um, I think with the New Age movement, there's so much information out there. And it, really, a lot of it contradicts each other. But I think what tends to happen is that you kind of nav um, gravitate towards people of the same belief system, don't you? Yes. And you will read stuff that confirms your own belief system and ignore stuff that doesn't. So you kind of build, you build yourself up into a huge bubble, really. Yes. Um, I mean, I'm, I've been guilty of that as well. I've been through many bubbles where I've right. kind of shattered my belief system many times over. And I've always had a kind of internal philosophy where I believe that once we hold on to something so dearly, it's time to let it go, you know, for those beliefs to shatter. Because in, I think in some ways, um, the New Age movement could become like another religion. It's yeah. Quite, do you see what I mean? It's quite scary in that fact, isn't it, really? I think almost have to read between the lines a bit. That there are two two wonderful books I read years ago. One was called Combating Cult Mind Control by a guy called Steve Hassan. He um, was in a group when he was a young man that many people uh, label as a cult and has worrying characteristics about it. And um, he, he, he got free in the end and he wrote a wonderful book. And the book basically shows the process that happens. Well, the... the um, the organization may be different and they, they're, you know, everything from what we would call New Age to fundamentalist Christian to positive thinking groups to um, pyramid selling groups. That A lot of them have the same dynamics within them that we would classify as a cult. And then there was the other book I read was as a Christian book. Somebody sent it to me. It's called The Subtle Power of Spiritual Abuse. And this book was... Um, as I say, written by, uh, I think it was a couple of Christian ministers, nearly 20 years or 15 years since I read it. Um, but it was written by a couple of Christian ministers, and they were highlighting how sometimes certain churches, um, you know, congregations, can become cultic in the way in which they are run, even if the overall church is not. You know, they come like, you use the expression bubble. It almost develops into a little bubble there where... Um, one person or two or three people, if you like, there's a, a, a phrase, isn't there, ex-cathedra, which is almost like a, a pope who speaks from, uh, you know, a, a place of authority and every, it, he's deemed to be infallible. And I think when, when a person or people, um, if you like, give over their thinking ability to another person or another group of people to do the thinking for them that's when it becomes very very dangerous because um you know we might what somebody else or another group says we might think sounds plausible it might sound very positive but when we stop thinking for ourselves and just you know just accept as rope what other people are saying um 
you know, we, we, we start going down a slippery slope there. So I think it's very important that we are discerning. And you use the expression, if, if, if a person becomes very attached to something, that's the time to let it go. I think that's a wonderful principle um, against which people could evaluate their beliefs so that if they do believe something so so strongly, um, you know, it, it's really useful to consider, could I live without this? You know, if I if I were to let go of this, what would my life be like? Can I prove, you know, if, you, if somebody believes something as fact, what proof is there if I look at every argument, both for and against, will my belief stand up? And, um, you know, I think if we all did that more often, um, I think the world would be a better place. <laughs> mm. I think sometimes there's a danger with a belief system where you believe it so much that you actually stop living. You stop being, um, you know, you stop doing things, you know, you just kind of sit back and um, you're, you're constantly, there's nothing wrong with seeking, but it's when that seeking turns into just being, doing nothing, yeah, being paralysed by a belief, I think it becomes quite dangerous. Um, I mean, we, I think we've both had uh, scenarios in the past where people have, have attacked through the, from having a different standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and when they do that, they, they may accuse you that your belief system's wrong and that you're working for the dark side. <laughs> so yeah. so yeah. even in the whole New Age movement, you've, we have people that will aggressively attack others because yeah. their New Age beliefs are different to somebody else's. So it's, it's a complete minefield, really. And I think the I think that's when things there's like a, a red flag should go up is that if someone believes they're spiritual if they're yeah. actually attacking somebody absolutely then why are they doing that you wouldn't be attacking somebody I guess if you were spiritual would you no no I think yeah you're right that you know if somebody starts going down that road that's the time for them to stop and think hang on a minute you know and I think that is a microcosm what you've given there is a wonderful microcosm sadly what we see happening on a global scale, you know, I know in Nigeria at the moment, um, I think they've just found about 150 bodies, 200 bodies, people stuffed down wells and all kinds of things when you've got Christian and Muslim groups, both of which believe that they are, you know, if you like, the right truth, the one truth, and following their perception of God, and God is a God of love, we believe, they're going out and massacring each other. And this is this has been, unfortunately... The thing that we've seen written throughout human history, that lots of people become attached to a belief and then the belief gets distorted um, and is used to justify, you know, killing, hurting or sending hateful emails or whatever it is. It's, you know, it's the same spirit, if you like, or the same motivation, the same motivating factor. It's just the, you know, the level of the result is different. You know, a spiteful email is a, you know, a whole different level from somebody sticking somebody down a well. But if you like, the the um, catalyst is the same, isn't it? It's that they they have become so fixed in in a belief that I always find it amazing. You know, that people will kill in the name of a god of love or a spirit of love. I just, I, it, you know, it, it, it's incomprehensible how a person can come to a point where they go, let's go and, you know, stick a, uh, you know, a, I don't know, a, a pack of explosives to our chest, go into a shopping mall somewhere, and in the name of love, I'll blow a hundred people up. It, I, it's, so, um, it's so difficult to get your head around the, you know, logic of that. And of course, there isn't a logic to it. But it shows what can happen when we take things to the furthest extreme, when a person becomes so attached to a belief that they close their mind to 
any other point of view. In fact, no, they do more than that. They don't just close their mind. If there are other points of view, they go out and attack it. Mm. And that, I think that, as you say, that's a red flag. You know, if, if we have um, beliefs and ideologies, whether it be political, um, you know, spiritual or whatever, if, if we then find ourselves, and of course I'm talking collectively, if we then find ourselves in the position that because somebody believes something different to us, we're going to send them a spiteful email or we're going to, you know, you know, say something nasty to them or whatever, um, then really that's the time that we or the person that does that need to step back. I remember learning years ago in NLP, I think it's a wonderful principle to take on board. Feedback says more about the sender than it does about the receiver. And I think that that's a really important thing to remember, both as receivers of feedback and as givers of feedback. Mm. I think YouTube's, um, <laughs> it's got some wonderful comments on YouTube, isn't it? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, right the way across the spectrum. Some of them, some the of them can be quite frightening. You know, some, some, yeah. there's some nice uplifting ones, and then some of them can be, gee, you know, some, some yeah. people should be <laughs> in prison, they're so violent. Well, it's, it's funny, because um, I've, I've mentioned this before, there's a, there's a project on the internet that basically trawls the web uh, for linguistics to determine okay. the future. Right, yeah. and um, and I think crikey, you know, if you've got a robot going across YouTube collecting all those comments, what would be the sum of out of ten? I wonder, you know, what, would that give us a, a true reflection of humanity from a, from a, a one to ten, a scale? Do you see what I mean? I and, do. Um, yeah. You know, some real, real uh, dark stuff on there where people write about each other, and it's such a shame. But obviously, there is duality, and some people, you know, expressing their darker side and some people expressing more from the light aren't they and I yeah. think that just goes to show what what is really out there isn't it really it's not all love and light is it everywhere no it's not and I think that's that's an important element of discernment isn't it Ian that um, whilst very many people particularly you know people that have a spiritual or a charitable or a compassionate nature are aware that there is much beauty in the world and there are many wonderful people in the world conversely the opposite is true too. In fact, I was reading an article recently um, that talked about how it's written by Frank Skinner, the comedian, but it was a very level-headed article, um, not of a comedic nature. Um, it was addressing, you know, um, crime in the modern world, and he mentioned that um, that he'd read somewhere or learned somewhere that there were about four percent of the world's population. He reckoned were what we would call very, very extreme saintly people, almost, you know, like, I, I, I don't know, you think of some saints that maybe come to mind, or very, very spiritual people. Now, I know um, from my background in psychotherapy that around about 4% of people at the other end of the extreme are what we would call sociopaths and psychopaths and people with antisocial personality disorder. And then you have kind of everybody else who is, is, is in the world and who is influenced to one degree or another, I guess, by... Um, both extremes that are going on out there, so you almost have like your 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 saints, if you like, that have incarnated to kind of say, "Hey, people, this is the way. Let's let's walk together and you know be nice to each other." And then you've got this kind of the, the other extreme, the dark side, that are you know saying, "Come on, let's let's blow these people up and things like that." And then there's the kind of the rest of us in the middle, who are being given the opportunity, I guess, through the, by the very fact that we are here to exercise our discernment and be able to choose between the two extremes. Um, so I, I kind of felt that his article was quite a um, quite insightful. You know, the, the the point that he made that there there 
there are these two extremes and I think when a person pretends there isn't a dark side is that old again Christian quote isn't there one of the the best things the devil ever did now I'm not going to say there's a specific devil per se as as um, Christianity would argue that there is but just to kind of use it as a metaphor if you like one of the um, best things the devil ever did is to kid kid most of us that he doesn't really exist you know and then we, we um, start thinking well there's no such thing as evil really it's just you know there's a, there's a phrase out there I think that I've read there's kind of a new age you one there's no such thing as evil only misdirected good and that that I found that challenging for for quite some time and I think um the more I thought about it and the more I looked at the reality of the situation, there, there, there are acts that, that cannot be classified, at least in my opinion, as anything other than evil. And I think one of the things that we, and I, you know, I hopefully, you know, God bless, I will be classed within this category. I'm going to say we as light workers and everybody else that's listening to this program. So I, I aspire to be. We as light workers, I think one of the things that we can do, to use an analogy, is we've been given torches by spirit and we can go into a room and we can, we can turn the torch on to start to, you know, bring light to an area rather than just sit there and think there's no such thing as a dark room. I think it's almost, it's beholden upon us to actually take take the light out and share it with other people. So I guess the other thing is is that it seems that there's people doing active actively doing good things, and then there's people that are actively doing very very negative things. Um, and obviously, the, the deeper you go down the rabbit hole of conspiracy theories and and stuff like that, um, and if it's true, and there seems to be a lot of evidence that seems to suggest it's true, that there are people that want to keep humanity in fear and keep mm. us all in perpetual wars and hating each other so you know these people are probably the four percent or whatever is psychopaths or sociopaths that you're talking about yeah so um you know if everything was love and light and i'm just being devil's advocate here if we mm. just all sat back and just was pure love and light would these active negative people stop what they're doing it's good. I'll tell you my my answer to this. I wrote an article probably a couple of three years ago now called Turn the Other Gas Chamber. And the gist of the article is, in fact, I think I still got it on my website. The gist of the article is I was using the Second World War as an example and what the Nazis did to the Jews and the gypsies and other people that they didn't agree with. I mean, this kind of comes back full circle to our opening, if you like, um, comments about having an extreme belief the nazis had a very extreme belief that only the aryan people were you know the best people around and everybody else um wasn't so good and some people they believe were so bad that they should be exterminated and um the 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 gist of the article was that some people argue from a if you like a christian perspective or a spiritual perspective that um really we shouldn't do anything other than think nice thoughts and you know be nice to each other and if more of us if if we continue to do this somehow the energies will change and the world will improve i actually think that's half of the equation i think when people think positively and kind of do the pay it forward approach they do nice deeds and you know hope is going to create a wonderful ripple effect i think that happens but I also think 
that, to use the analogy of the Second World War, if Hitler were allowed to have run carte blanche around the world, um, Nazism would have probably taken control of the world and we would be living in something like a hell on earth now. And what stopped that was people standing up to the evil that was Nazism at great cost in order to stop the spread of evil. Now, if we, if we kind of scale that down into a kind of a national and a local level and to use the the statistical analysis of and of sociopaths and psychopaths, for instance, sociopaths, people with antisocial personality disorder, they they enjoy hurting people. They go out their way to hurt people. Um, and if we were if we were to stand back and not to check that with accountable, balanced laws as much as is possible in in the modern world, if we allow them to have carte blanche, literally by a process of elimination, I believe they would rise to the top of the pile and then the rest of us, almost sheep-like, who had failed to act, would be at their mercy. So I think there comes a point um, that not only do we think nice thoughts and do we kind of pay it forward, do you know, live in a nice way to help make the world better that way. Sometimes we almost have to like shine the light on the evil to expose it. And sometimes we almost have to, we, we literally have to stand up to it because if we don't, it will walk all over us. That's my belief. Well, in a way, that's what history has shown us, isn't it? So yeah, you know, we've had very oppressive um, regimes and empires and um, people all through history really just controlling people. You know, what's happened with a you know, dare I say, religion um, and such like. And now we're in a, in a moment of history where we, we've got the opportunity with amazing communication um, mm. to kind of wake up as a race and make a difference. And, and I think this is where I, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but it's like we've got two things going on. There's an awakening process which could encapsulate the people that are trying to expose the conspiracies um, and reveal them as being true yeah. so they're actually actively out there um, lobbying or protesting or exposing facts whistleblowers doing what they can do and yeah. then there's obviously the spiritual movement where people are trying to get the message out that we are more than just physical lumps of meat and that we are spiritual beings so it's, it's like people waking up to a greater reality but yeah. also within that there's kind of mixed messages within the spiritual movement that says to people oh yes we're going through a time of change yeah um but you don't need to do anything it's all going to happen for you and i guess what my concern is and i don't know whether that's right or wrong but i'm Pers I personally wouldn't want to wait for something to happen that may not happen because I think that it, the actual game here could be that we are the people here incarnate to make the difference that the world is going through. We yeah. are the change that the world needs. I absolutely agree with you 100% there Ian. I, th I think we are the change. Yeah, I think my belief about why we, we're here if you like as, as, as human beings it was a number of reasons, one of which is to build character. Now, we don't build character, or we don't build much character, I guess, by doing nothing. That's not to say there's never a time to sit back and, and to think, and we don't have to act in every situation. You know, sometimes, you know, it, it's better not to act sometimes. But if everybody does nothing, then, you know, nothing is going to happen. And if the only people that are doing something are those that are kind of more inclined to the darkness, well, they're going to shape the world. There, there is um, another 
um, if you like, principle that I learned in the field of psychology, psychotherapy. And that is that the, the, the part that is most active within a system will be the part that shapes the system. If, if, if there is a system and most parts are inactive, then the one part that consistently takes action is going to influence the rest literally because of the fact that it, it you know that part consistently takes action so as as relates to the modern world i think you're right that there are there's almost like the, the, two, if you like two forces at work here one of which is light one of which is dark and i think sometimes to use a computer i actually watched the first time i seen it the other night i'm um, troy with brad pitt um movie just about two or three nights ago and uh, they, of course, it was the story of the Trojan horse, amongst other things. And I think sometimes that's a very useful analogy as well as to what takes place within um, the, the spiritual movement, if you like, that some people who profess to be light workers and do a very go good job of presenting themselves as such actually perhaps are really Trojan horses from the other side that are sending messages out there perhaps maybe saying oh don't act very often or um, you know uh, just let everything take its own course um, to cause people who would perhaps otherwise be be more active um, you know and, and seeking to do what they can to create that positive ripple effect to cause them to sit back and not actually do anything which then means that the negative four percent are you know gaining a greater hold of influence over people within this within this area yeah and I, f I think the lesson we or the the people that we need to look at for inspiration here is that if you look at the the indigenous people the yeah. the indians the you know the native american indians um the the, the all different tribes from all over the world they're very deeply spiritual people connected with nature um they 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 live in communities where there is no real hierarchy as such as we would have it you know they're kind of all equal in, in a sense and they'll have their place one you know one might be the hunter one might be uh, the home person or whatever but if someone was to come and steal their land they wouldn't just sit there and meditate and allow them to walk in and kill them they would attack yeah it, because it's, it's you, we live in a physical reality where although that, that sounds terrible you know you're a spiritual person attacking but it's if someone comes in a nasty person who's got a gun yeah no amount of prayers or love and light is going to stop that person from shooting you if they want to come and steal your land so yeah. you know these these indigenous people will fight um and protect their own land and i guess this the avatar film paints such an amazing picture it's really i think it's woken up so many people yeah. um to the plight of indigenous groups here on earth and what they've been going through and yes. really the what we should do you know we should all get as a collective help now i think you, i don't know if you mentioned this before but as, as humanity we should be unity right and now most yeah. of the spiritual movement agree that we should be unity mm -hmm. right so the human body is uh you could say that you could, it's an allergy for god it's a an encapsulated expression of consciousness that has many cells within that body yeah right, that make up the whole yeah right now imagine if all of a sudden my my body takes on a belief system and, and goes oh oh there's a belief system called karma. Oh, my legs got gangrene. Oh, I can't feel my leg anymore. It doesn't matter. That's my legs karma. Mm. You know, my arm's fine. My head's fine. I'll just leave that because when the cells in my leg are born next time around, they can be my ear. And my ear's all right. 
Right. So, you know, but we treat humanity like it doesn't matter if, um, you know, 80% of the population are living in poverty compared to the rich 20% or whatever. Mm. We, yeah, we do. You know, the um, movie Avatar, I think, is excellent, both in the fact of the uh, way it draws our attention to what what's happened to the indigenous people. And I guess on a wider scale, we're all indigenous to Earth. So what it's if you take it globally, if you like, it's um it's sending a message as to what is taking place with the planet right this very moment and how when we allow, if you like, uh, people or groups that don't have our best interests to heart but are focused on, you know, the, the, the bottom line, the buck stops here and, you know, wanting top dollar and all of that, which is what the, the, you know, the problem with the movie was. People were willing to ride roughshod over the, the people basically to make a quick buck out of the, the, uh, the land. I think that, that, uh, that teaches a very important lesson. And I think it also teaches us that um, there is a time that we actually need to stand up. Now, my heroes, if you like, um, from history are people like Dr. Martin Luther King, Gandhi, you know, even Joan of Arc. If you look at, um, you go back to um, the time of Joan of Arc, England, as it was then, had overrun France. And the French were an occupied country. And the English were not treating the French very well, and they, they, the French had tried to fight back, and they hadn't won any victories for a long time. Now, this, this, this young peasant girl from the middle of nowhere began to receive messages that um, she perceived to be from God and from archangels and um, various saints. And s- through some miracle, she was lifted from obscurity, taken to... Um, the Dauphin, the, the 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 person that was due to become or should have been king, and she led the armies of France to overthrow the English, who was subjugating the people of France. Now, um, sometimes I think there 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 is a time either for non-action, violent, um, as non-violent opposition, as as Gandhi and Dr. Martin Luther King did. But I think sadly, sometimes in an imperfect world, when we are faced by Nazism. Um, you know, we can look around, there's been Pol Pot, um, you know, the killing fields, and so many other situations. There comes a time when sometimes at expense, you know, great expense, we have to stand up to the 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 negativity for the evil that exists. Now, fortunately, at this moment in time, there, there aren't any world wars or anything of that nature, although there are wars happening in so many places around the world. But at this moment in time, our collective ability to unite through the use of modern communication is is so powerful and we can influence government leaders, um, politicians, big business instantly, you know, through Facebook, through, of course, the Spirit Guide. So many people coming through to the Spirit Guide's website. I think we, we live in we live in a in a pivotal point in world history where. You have people like the people that make the movie Avatar that are sending big messages and lots of people, lots of light workers are uniting and more and more people are kind of finding out about this kind of stuff and joining on board so that we can unite as one and through either non-violent opposition or sometimes um, actually, you know, maybe going on a march or something like that where we, if you like, 
being more proactive. We're, we're, we're doing something active. Now, I'm not advocating violence in any case here. I'm just kind of drawing on some examples of history where as, an, as a nation or nations, we had to stand up against Nazism or something. Fortunately, most often that isn't the case. And we as I think we as a society in our modern world can, through the use of modern communication, influence government, governments in a way that could never be done before. Yeah, sure. I think, you know, like with the, the stuff that's going on with the banking sector, um, you know, a lot, there's a lot of people that um, don't believe Obama's doing a good thing. You know, his he's, uh, popularity has gone down in America. But um, I think recently he's kind of come, you know, he's come out of these sweeping changes to the banks. Yeah. Um, and to me, I... I just see such a, that is such a positive thing. You know, Me too. Like, yeah. You know, it's really standing up to the big boys because when you think about it, you've got the government, yeah, which is the 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 government who you think's running the show, and then you've got all the special interest groups, which are banks and corporates and all these people. So for him to stand up against the banks and say no, enough's enough, is fantastic. You know, yeah. really really good. And at a time where you've got energy companies that are um, literally putting the prices up. They've never passed on any uh, cuts to the customers. Um, you've got the pharmaceutical company, which basically hoodwinks everybody over the swine flu as well. Yeah, gee. They? And they've, yeah. they've sold all these um, vaccines to the governments, and, and rightly no one took them. Mm. Um, and now, obviously, the governments have spent all this money on, on vaccines not going to be used. And I think that there's a rumour they're going to sell them to the third world countries but it's like all these big industries big corrupt industries like the pharmaceutical industry the the energy industry and the banking industry they're all trying to make as much money as possible in the least amount of time at the moment have you noticed that mm. Mm, I think sorry go ahead I just wonder what they're afraid of <laughs> you know they're just uh, trying to hold it all in aren't they at mm. the moment mm. yeah it's just Sadly, so much of the way the world works is that it is focused on and has been, I guess, since the dawn of time and, you know, on on the acquisition of material material wealth. And that's often often been the problem of the world. Can I share something with you that kind of I think will be relevant to to the program today uh, that's kind of triggered by some things I read recently in discussions I had to do with Haiti? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Obviously, the earthquake happened just a few days ago, just over a week ago. And I guess just before the earthquake happened, oh, sorry, just after the earthquake happened, people were starting to comment on, you know, why did it happen? Of course, we do ask questions like that at this time. And it, it kind of just went through my head. I wonder how soon it will be before somebody says something like, oh, well, of course, voodoo was practiced in Haiti and you know this is maybe God's judgment or something like that and lo and behold I don't know about a day or two later my wife Jill pointed out that she's seen on the internet I think somebody making that point that you know um, that that Haiti is known for practicing that and somebody had began to draw a cause and effect relationship or a potential cause and effect relationship between the earthquake happening in Haiti and the reason for that earthquake. And it caused me to think, coming back to the subject of discernment, it caused me to think about why people um, tend to think in very simplistic terms about the way the world works in relation to natural disasters and things of that nature. And then I think it was about a day or two later I saw another posting on the internet which was almost right at the other extreme and it said something like um, 
uh, I guess somebody felt they channeled or they received some information in some way. And I think the gist of the message was that they felt that all of the people that had died in Haiti had basically come to this earth and elected to die in the earthquake in order to cause humanity to rally around and start thinking more spiritually. And I kind of, I thought about both extremes. And if you like, for, for what it's worth, I share my opinion with you now. And, and that is the, the idea that because some people in Haiti practiced voodoo, that some entity out there that we call God would, would wipe them out just, just doesn't hold water. You know, I think it's, uh, it's it, it, that kind of thinking, sadly, is the kind of thinking that's caused so much suffering throughout the, the history of the human race. And I think the other, the other extreme is also inaccurate. And the reason I do, uh, the reason I come to that conclusion is I think that probably both points of view are born out of the same, the same um, deep belief that needs to answer why a, an all-powerful God will allow things to happen like this. And one person because of that belief has come to the conclusion, oh, they must be bad, so God is punishing them. And the other person has come to the conclusion, oh, an all-powerful God wouldn't let anything bad happen, therefore all of these people have elected to die. So in a, in a kind of convoluted way, it's a good act. And I think both of those beliefs, well, I can understand how the people have arrived at them, probably when taken literally don't hold water. And my senses, if you like, about why we are here and the way the world works is is more akin to if you can if I can use an analogy now. Remember um, when children are very young, uh, uh, you know, mum and a dad they might have a playpen for them. They'll put the baby or two babies in the playpen, and the babies can do whatever they like within that playpen, but they can't influence the world beyond that playpen. So if they want to play with their alphabet blocks, if they want to get on with each other nicely, if they're going to engage in fisticuffs with each other, all of those things they can do but they are limited to the parameters of that playpen. Now, to take this analogy a little bit further, so if you like, that playpen represents Earth. And we, if you like, are the children in the playpen, and there's a lot that we can do within the playpen. And similarly, the, if you like, the forces of nature that work within our universe also have a certain amount, if you like, of free will, and can uh, tectonic plates can move. There was that wonderful program that we both spoke about um, to each other by email recently where they asked about you know how do tragedies like this happen and and the reasoning behind them so all of these things if you like are given a certain amount of free reign there's the techno tectonic plates there's weather patterns there's human behavior and if you like God in my sense or spirit or the benevolent forces whilst they intervene sometimes generally speaking what takes place in the playpen is is given, if you like, free reign within certain parameters, which means that good things will happen to bad people sometimes, bad things will happen to good people, but overall, we as people, we, we find ourselves in an environment where we can learn from what's happening, and there isn't, if you like, an exact correlation between every single thing that happens to the extent that because somebody died in an earthquake, that means that they've either done something very bad or they've done something very good. It just means that, in in some cases, within the parameters of the way that the world works and has been set up, 
things like this happen you know earthquakes happen and disasters happen and there are good people and not so good people and that's the way the world works and as we all live here together we can do what we can to influence society as best we can to become more wholesome and more compassionate and in this imperfect world that's how we develop character so so, so do you think there's kind of like um, a, a collective balance within the laws of free will if there was such a theme where um you know with the duality of negative and positive you, you the will can't go too far in the negative it's, it's almost like um you know angels or spirit or or, or god or whatever you want to call it making sure that there's always balance within our experiences as a collective maybe i i, I, th- I think so just you know uh, again, this is purely my opinion. I'm not kind of saying it's channeled stuff or anything like that. But you know, you see things like this, and you hear other people's point of view. And of course, everybody's entitled to it, and we're we're all shaped by our background. And I, you know, you just naturally think about, well, you know, what about that opinion? What about this one? And and you know, I I look at the look at the world, and there are natural disasters. And you know, if we if we use the example of a natural disaster, I bet that. You know, the people, whether it be in Haiti or any other disaster that happens, they are going to represent a cross-section of humanity. You know, they're going to be ordinary people, a natural cross-section of humanity. And sometimes some people are just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And I think, you know, when we try and create a cause and effect relationship between every such incident that is either a punishment or that they've they've elected to die or something like that. I, I, I think that becomes very simplistic and very narrow thinking. Whereas I think, at least for me, when I, when I work on the preposition that the world is created in such a way that there are natural laws of, you know, um, uh, physics, gravity, tectonic plates, uh, you know, weather patterns, um, people that are um, very saintly, some that are right the other end, and then most of us in between somewhere. Um, and that the overall goal is that over time we will learn that in an imperfect world, if if we all work together for good, for love, and seek to make the best of what we can, humanity will gradually go, if you like, through a process of evolution spiritually, and and move up to a higher level. But I think that there there are parameters. So I, I you know I don't think that if you like the dark side can pull us down entirely. Um, and similarly, the light side clearly doesn't step in and do it all for us. It, it kind of comes back to the, the the point that you made that I think we're here to take action. You know sometimes, and it's through taking action that our character develops. I guess this is the other argument: is if if we didn't need to do anything, then you know why are we here? we could just still be spirit, I guess, couldn't we? I mean, I think the idea of being physical is that you are a spiritual being in a physical body. Yeah. But a physical body has senses that allows it to interact with the physical world. So if you don't use those senses to take action, then you might as well just be in spirit. Because surely when you meditate and just yeah. be with the oneness, then you're just emulating a, another state where you, you're away from this reality. So... And I think, you know, maybe if every single person on the planet was doing that and there was no neg- no negativity whatsoever, then we could all be in bliss. But mm-hmm. I think the reality of it is that there are 
you know active negative forces that are trying to uh, keep us all in fear. So I think we all need to be vigilant, really. To tell you what, Ian, based on the point you made about the you know kind of meditation, that reminds me of that study that was done. I think it was it was it a transcendental meditation study? Yes, that's that, right. That's yeah, correct. Yeah, it's about five percent of people in an area, and the crime rate dropped. Well, if if, if that correlates to the the approximate, if you like, saintly proportion of the society, which are around about three, four, five percent, the super saints, if you like. I wonder if the very fact that they are here and seeking to do their level best to to spread the light is that critical factor that is helping to keep you know keep things moving along in a more positive way. Very similar to the the analogy with the TM study, whereby when people meditated, the crime level dropped. I wonder mm. if there's a correlation that way, perhaps. Well, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? I think it was seven thousand yeah. meditators. Was it? And um, I'm. I think this is the right number, but I think they said it was like a seventy percent drop in the, in the crime rate. So that's big. You know, isn't it? So in in certain areas where they were meditating, but again, it's not just it's a, a group focus. It's not like um, one person in your you know where you live and one person yeah. where I live having just one focus. It's having a powerful, um, almost magnetized focus of mind, a group mind, yeah. um, allowed this to happen. So it's not something that just you know it's got you've really got a focus energy i believe to do this but the good thing is that if you do have all these people with this intent then it means that someone who's going to commit a negative act might be less likely to do so if right. there's more positive energy around do yes you see what I mean? so there is some amazing things like that and um there's another guy called greg braden and um, that talks about heart math and how the the heart generates um, 5,000 times more um, magnetism or, some, or something like that where if you have a lot of people giving out compassion and love that it can all it can actually affect the magnetosphere of the planet and I think they recorded this around 9-11 or just after um, right. after the attack so I mean science is measuring um, this stuff where consciousness can have a really huge effect and stuff like that so you know it's interesting, isn't it? I think you know mm. going back to what you said, it's like it's half the half the equation, isn't it? You need to have the loving intent and have the light workers doing that stuff as well, but also yeah. it's the action that goes with it. Yeah. So what's that saying? Um, what's it? The the hands that help are holier than the lips that pray, or something like that. And I, I you know, again, I think that's a wonderful principle to remember that that the prayer is fantastic. It's wonderful, but sometimes physical action. You know, needs to needs to be part of the equation as well. Yeah, I think we're just living in really exciting time. There's just so much, so much going on. Mm. Um, there's so much information to digest. Um, so many things to believe. Um, and you know, I guess that certainly, you know, as you're seeking, people do seek. Um, it's like a roller coaster ride, isn't it? Yeah. Um, and then at some point, you kind of have to get off and, and start living again. And um, and I think really, as long as we do our bit, and some actually, I'm going to give you a quote now that someone said to me. They said when they were like about four, three or four years of age, right? right. Um, their mum just quite flippantly just come out and said, "What's the meaning of life?" And this little girl, being about three, she just went to serve one another. Oh, that's lovely. <laughs> and how old was she? About three. You know, she, she, she just literally just came out of her. And wow. um, she had no idea what she said. And, of course, her mother told her years later what she'd said. Oh. And this is a young child, obviously, clearly just channeling 
her higher self or, or whatever you know and it's, it's a great thing we just have to remember that we are here to serve each other yeah you know, be nice to each other you know that reminds me and you said that uh, when I am uh, in, I'm involved in past life regression work and reincarnation things like that I remember reading uh, uh, some of the different studies that have been done and there was one example that was given uh, forgive me I can't quote the book or cite the author but I, I'll give you the, the example that I remember and it was of a I think it was a brother and a sister and they were both very young and I think the brother was probably a toddler and uh, the sister was even younger and the parents had I think one of those kind of intercom plug you know you plug it in one room and uh, through the the electrical wiring of the house, you they have a speaker in another room, so they can listen and make sure their kids are all right. And I believe they heard the young son go in and lean over his sister's cot, and say, he whispered to her, "Tell me about God. I'm starting to forget." And very often, um, children seem to have more recall of our, I feel like our existence on the other side of life. And at this particular moment in time, obviously, he had kind of had a flashback and he began to ask his little sister to tell him, and I guess she was not in a place to be able to, she was probably too young, but he must have had, if you like, a fleeting memory of his life before he'd incarnated, you know, two, three, four, five years before, and he asked somebody that was younger than him to see if she could kind of do that, and I guess that maybe is similar to the little girl that you've just said that she was still so in tune and maybe a you know an old soul as well that she was asked that question spontaneously by her mother and she gave a spontaneous answer as you say tuned into spirit tuned into her higher self and um i think sometimes children can be you know wonderful examples with things like this you know they are so uh, you know on the whole so innocent so and so um direct very often aren't they with their answers and i guess that's what happened in both of these two occasions mm. Yeah, that's such a wonderful message, isn't it? Really, mm. to serve you know one another, mm. to sort of help mm. people, stuff like that. I mean, I've just got some weird memories of myself when I was a kid. You know, sort of like two years of age, yeah. and I actually remember um, having people visit me. Right. Um, and but the people that were visiting visiting me were at the window, but the window was probably a good nine foot, ten foot off the ground. And um, oh so obviously now it doesn't make any sense, you know, who were the oh. people at the window? Yeah. Um, and then there was somebody in the cupboard and they were like kind of adult type beings and, <laughs> and they were kind of like friends, if you like. But obviously when I got older, I didn't have a clue what was going on. And I remember also lying in bed and I used to have a little comfort blanket and I quite I vividly remember seeing it actually levitate and spin round. Wow. And, you know, like yeah. and years later, I say to mum, you know, like, my pillow used to spin round. Oh, don't be stupid! Oh. And oh, there's people at the window. And, oh no, don't be daft! And you know, there's people lying under the bed. I used to have a, a, uh, an image of a person lying under the bed as well. Mm-hmm. But then, obviously, as you get older, um, you know, the rational mind thinks. You know, from parents saying, "No, don't be silly. This, that's just your imagination." You kind of just put it to one side and don't believe it. And it wasn't until I got into the kind of spiritual movement and started to realise that there was more that then those memories became more real again. I was thinking, hang on a minute, you know, I couldn't have made those things up. No. Because they were no. so real to me. Again, it shows the power of a belief, doesn't it? Our society, largely, now I know that's changing, but society, particularly in the West, until probably the last 20 or 30 years, 
um, was very, very skeptical, and it still is in, in some parts, of anything to do with, you know, life after death, paranormal phenomena, and things like that. And, and if you like, almost the knee-jerk reaction of, of um, most people, particularly adults around their children, used to be when a person said, oh, you know, my Aunt Matilda spoke to me, and of course Aunt Matilda you know, maybe passed away a few years before, was, oh, you know, don't be silly, or it's your, you've got a vivid imagination. I can remember being told, you a vivid imagination was a, was a thing. And of course now, and again, you talked about living in exciting times. There is research that's happening, you know, obviously, as you know, around quantum physics and psychokinesis and telepathy and, and you know, um, spirit communication. And uh, this is having a very positive, I think, effect on, if you like, the belief structure of the world as a whole, and people are much more open to and accepting of at least the possibility, um, you know, that uh, levitation can happen or telepathy takes place. I think, you know, I think lots of people, scientists included, uh, you know, are pretty open to the possibility of um, telepathy. And I think, again, with the work of Robert John and others at Princeton, um, equally psychokinesis. Um, is 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 um, is believed to exist by very very many people now as a result of the results that have come through. So I think we do live in exciting times, and I guess all all of this is coming together. You know, both the times, the research, the uh, our ability to communicate instantaneously around the world like this to help the process, if you like, of our our collective spiritual evolution, so that. Um, as we move to the next level, which I think is what we're going to do, I think we're almost going to jump. Uh, uh, the best analogy I can give you is a bandwidth. We're going to jump up a level um, uh, as a society. So whilst there still will be extremes at either level, I think we will be um, of a higher bandwidth so that whilst there will be, if you like, still some not very nice people and still some very saintly, because we'll, have be, we'll move up a level, the not very nice end of the spectrum will not be as as um, bad as it were on the lower level, if you like. So I kind of, that's kind of what I think is happening. We're kind of moving up to a higher level so that the, um, the, the positive extremes will be more and there will be less of the negativity. Mm. I think that the big thing is transparency, isn't it? You know, like mm. people to, to live with integrity and mm. um, to have this... Uh, I'm trying to think about the transparency thing. There was something recently where... Um, someone was talking about companies should have make their board meetings public so that okay. they're transparent because when um, whenever you make decisions behind closed doors that's when people tend to do corrupt things or yes. things that are not in harmony with the shareholders or with the general public but if you if everything that you did was made public then you could never do those things in a way I guess in the same way that if our thoughts were truly I mean, our truth, uh, we think our thoughts are private when, when in fact they're not anyway. But yeah. um, to many fellow human beings, we all can't read each other's minds. But if you could, mm. there would be no secrets, would there? You wouldn't no. be able to hide a thing from somebody. So you'd have to be um, integral, wouldn't you? Yeah. I think that's one of the things um, that they say um, when a person crosses over to the other side. Sometimes one of the, the, the things they first 
almost have to get their mind around, so to speak, is the fact that we communicate by thought and their thoughts are being read mm. by the other beings there. You know, uh, you c- communicate by thought and every there is this total transparency on the other side. I th- remember the um, the book, The Celestine Prophecy, yeah, yeah, I think yeah. went a, um, you know, a good way to kind of explain this principle that the, the more the people were getting in if you like in the flow with the universe with the light they were seeing each other's auras and when a person was kind of thinking and not very nice thought their aura would change color and it was almost like a biofeedback mechanism wasn't it because then they would realize their aura was changing color and it was you know in a not pos- in, in a negative way so that then helped them to stop themselves and kind of tune back into the light and the more people did that um uh, you know, the the more things improve, and I guess in a sense, the the expression biofeedback—that's what we're li- we're living in a biofeedback world, isn't it? We're finding that if we all act together in a compassionate way, then the world becomes a better place. Whereas if if negativity predominates, then the world the the, the feedback we get is that it's an uncomfortable place. Um, so it's kind of a, a cause and effect relationship that you know the world in which we live, and we're learning by the effects of our collective actions, and you know that. That indicates that if if we all together collectively changed the way we thought and the way we acted within the world in an instant, in a heartbeat, we could be living in a, a you know a literal paradise, couldn't mm. we? If everybody started to act with love and compassion right now, the world will be a very different place. So the answer, in essence, is very very simple. Yep, we can do it in a heartbeat, can't we? You know, it's just like that. Yeah. Yeah. I think we will. I think it's just um, it's a matter of time, you know, everybody's sort of waking up, I guess, and um, and, and realizing that we all we all need to be part of it, not just a, a lucky few, if you like, mm-hmm. in the West. I think everybody has to be on board in in every country, you know, wherever they are. Basically, I think you know, like um, you know, unity, consciousness, or ascension, or enlightenment is for everybody, isn't it? Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of something I learned from Anthony Robbins, and that was, you know, he said, and I may have quoted this on one of the other, the radio shows that we did together, but he he basically said, you know, I'm a really kind of positive guy, and I like to think that most people will be more motivated by something positive than they will by a negative situation, but he's found that in very many cases, sometimes it takes a negative thing to happen to make somebody very uncomfortable before they will actually act to do something. If things are kind of like fair to middling, you know, they'll be a couch potato and there's not enough making life difficult for them to act, but they're not actually achieving very much either. But if, if a challenge comes along that they, it causes them to get up and take action, then they'll actually begin to be, maybe become frustrated or they'll get naffed off about, you know, losing something or or, or whatever, they, they actually begin to take action. I think that corresponds, in effect, with the message that I've been getting from Spirit, is that it, for very, very many people, what's going to happen is going to necessitate, if you like, a shock of, of certain proportions to actually act as a catalyst to cause people to, to become proactive and begin to actively help to make change happen rather than just expect it to happen around them. And I think, you know, as we, we go through this process of evolution, I think that's, if you like, going to kind of give us a jolt or a kickstart to help us move through and up to the next level. Yeah, that's where the mirror comes in, isn't it? Basically, um, we see the, our own reflection or so that we can work on whatever we need to 
work on, isn't it? Yes. The contrast. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, well, we are completely on the hour now. Kevin, How about that? We're on the right. hour. <laughs> So fantastic. I mean, is there anything you just got um, a little last message you want to say before you go? Or no, that's you got any, fine. Anything you want to uh, point your the listeners to on your website? I know you just updated your website, haven't you? Oh, yeah, just created a new website. Um, yeah, um, by all means, you're more than welcome to come along and visit it www.hypnoticprofit.com. Um, brand spanking new design and some uh, new bits and pieces on there. So please, by all means, you're welcome to visit and, uh, uh, you know, enjoy yourself there. Yeah. And thank you very much again, Ian, for inviting me on the show. It's been a pleasure again. It's always a, a very insightful and thought-provoking conversation with you. Oh, you're most welcome. Thanks for coming on. It's a pleasure. Bye-bye. Bye.